Welcome back to Balagan. I'm Kobe Cohen. Between May 24th to 25th of 1991, almost 15,000 Jews were airlifted to Israel in a military operation named Operation Solomon. In less than 36 hours, a fleet of 35 Israeli Air Force joined by Elal planes and one Ethiopian Airways fled 14,395 members of the Beta Israel community from Addis Ababa and brought them to Israel. I am joined by Avezo Fanta, who was four months old when she took off with her family on one of those planes to share her family memories from the days prior to the operation and after their arrival to Israel. So, hello Avezo and welcome to Balagan. Hi! Thank you, like, Evan, we here to share my family story. Well, where we start? So I don't want to go, like, back in the days. So I start with my parents and their background. So most of my community come from Gonder, okay? So don't want, like, people to misunderstand. Gonder, it's in North Ethiopia. And I know that most of the Jewish people never see Addis Ababa, like, before they come to the refugee camp there. So they live in Teda. Teda, it's a big city in Gonder. And the famous village that everybody knows about the Ethiopian Jewish is Ambover. This is like the famous. But we live like in Teda, it's near this area. And the Jewish people live like in villages, isolated by everybody because they didn't want like to live with Christianity. This was the majority religion in Ethiopia. My father learned actually in Ort. Ort, it's a... We know them as Israeli school, but yes. also the agency, the Jewish agency, opened art school when he was young to teach them Hebrew. When uh, a lot of Americans come there to teach them Hebrew and also Israeli come to teach them Hebrew. So my father know Hebrew like from young age. I didn't know that until like two weeks ago, by the way. Amazing. Yeah. And I all the time say to myself, oh, my father know Hebrew very quickly when we come to Israel. Now I know. <laughs> So we meet my mother when she was 12 years old. Meet. It's a shidduch. How you say shidduch in... I think it's shidduch. Yeah, it's the Yiddish term of uh, shidduch. <laughs> yeah. And the Mary when she was 12 years old and my father was 20 years old. So a lot of people will probably say, oh my God, she was very young. But it was normal in Ethiopia. She studied in a school, not old school. She studied like in village, non-Jewish school until she was 10, something like this, because she lived like far away from her. So this is why she learned like in different school. And she uh, eventually stopped to learn, of course. She married to my father. When she was 14, she had my first brother. She was very young, of course. And then we start the story when we start about Israel, okay? So they really want to go in Sudan like through Operation Moses that everybody knows, that everybody needs to go through Sudan, and then some people will take you from there. So my father, brothers, two of them, start to walk in to Sudan, and they tell my father, when we are up to Sudan, we will tell you if you should come. Like, you are very young, you are like new baby, don't start right now the journey to Sudan. Like, stay here, we will contact with you. So they go to Sudan, and they miss communication for three months, something like this, until they get the first letter for my father brother. And he tell them, don't come to Sudan. A lot of kids die in the way. Don't do it. 
if you probably come to Sudan, so your wife will die, your new baby will die, stay in the village. I must yeah. ask you, was it because of the road itself that it was dangerous or it was because of the way they walked? I mean, most of commute was by foot, right? Yeah. And it was through the mountains. It wasn't on fish roads. And a lot of the people who tried to get to Sudan were actually murdered on the way, right? Yeah, but I know from my uncle that most of the people that die, of course, a lot of people also murdered by thief in the way. But most of the people die in the refugee camp because there were a lot of anger, like hungry, non-food, children without food. So the refugee camp was like the place that most of the people die, especially children. They die in the camp. And also a lot of people get healed, like they get sick. So there's a lot of problem in the refugee camp. But my father listened to my uncle and he decided not to do the road to Sudan and stay in the village. A lot of people in the village, when they hear the reaction from the Jews in Sudan, they decide to stay in Ethiopia and not to go to Sudan. So my uncle eventually came to Israel and uh, succeeded to uh, pass a Sudan error movie. This is how we call it. And he came to Israel. And when he came to Israel, this is like, how you say, beyond the scenes. This is the real fight for all the Jews that come to Sudan to make a pressure on the Israeli government to bring the Ethiopian Jews that stay still in Ethiopia, especially my family. We start from there. And I don't know if a lot of people know, but in the 80s, the government in Ethiopia was very communist. They can't. So they like steal children from the field, from the village, just to take them to the Ethiopian army. And my uncle tell me that when he heard, like, they start to steal uh, children and start to steal uh, men for the army, so my father all the time, like, send them letters to tell them, like, today they almost catch me and I was run away. Like, what? You run away? Like, they hide a lot of Jewish children in Catholic school just, like, not to get them go to the army. Also, my grandmother tell me that one time they catch like her young boy two times and she pay money for the government. Just like, please don't take him to the army. And it's very sad because I have an uncle that I don't know him that eventually catch by the army. And until today, we don't know what happened with him. So this is a little bit of the background about what the government was in Ethiopia. So a lot of people don't understand why it was taking a lot of time to bring the Ethiopian Jews, especially the Salomon operation. I don't speak about Moses. Yeah. And they need to understand that the government was very communist and the Israeli government was very afraid to do this move and open a clash with the Ethiopian country. So it the was pressure, a military regime, no? I yeah. Mean... And they're really afraid to do it. So beyond the scenes in Israel, you see a lot of protests start by Ethiopian Jews that come in the 80s. And a lot of leaders from the community like meet with American president just to bring the Ethiopian Jews from um, the area that I was living. Eventually, in the beginning of the 90s, we get a letter from my uncle and he said to my father, take all your children, the journey starts. We know right now in Israel, like probably they will take you, like go to Addis. And just see, like, open a refugee camp there, go to Addis. So he read the truck, and all of us, all the family, go to Addis. 
And we live in Addis for one year. So everybody think like we come in the same day from Gondar and the airplanes take us. No, most of the people was living in Addis Ababa for one year. We didn't live in the refugee camp. My family of my father have enough money to rent apartment near the refugee camp. So they rent apartment. My mother don't remember that as a difficult year. She was enjoying Addis. It's the first time that she see the city. It was very different from living in the isolated area in the village, like to move to the city. Also, the Jewish agency gave them every one month money for food, for everything. My brothers and my sister go to school of the Jewish agency for one year in the area of the refugee camp. And then the Jewish member of the American agency come to my father and tell him, like, pick all your things. We have 48 hours and we go to Israel. So, well, we come to Israel after 48 hours of big operation. <laughs> so your parents remember, I mean, you said that your mother doesn't, but did your father tell you in the past anything about the days of the operation? Or you guys, did you go to the airport at night or? So the only thing he tell me it's the operation was in Friday and Saturday. Okay, it's the first time. Also like the Rabbanut. The rabbinical institutions yeah. in Israel. Ovadia Yosef. So he gave a permission like right. to do the operation in Saturday. It's the first yes. time you can do it. So he tell me like the first plane was in Friday, but we were in the plane of Saturday. This is the only thing he remember that it was shocking going to fly in Saturday. And this is like the day of the resting. So a lot of them was like, what we're doing in the operation in Shabbat? Oh, we can do it. So this is how you remember. And I told you, my mother remembered that we lost our uh, brother and find them like two hours before the flight. This is the only thing. She was like going nuts after six children. And then like she uh, found my little brother. But she don't remember like the 48 hours. She remember like take two things, go to a airplane. And this is the only thing she remembers. And of course, you naturally don't have any memories from Ethiopia because you were only four months old when you boarded on the plane. But tell us some about your family's experience from arriving to Israel and how they got accepted. So my family, when they arrived to Israel, they located in Malon Shalom. It's the hotel, in very famous hotel in Jerusalem. In the 90s, it was like a hotel for for the new immigrant from Ethiopia that come. We've been there, I think, six months in Malon Shalom, and then we moved to Givata Matos. But it's a very famous neighborhood in Jerusalem. Yes, a lot of immigrant people was there. Yeah, It's Vital Piot. It's in the south part of the city, a little north to Ormona Natsiv and Gilo. Yeah. It's very funny because I remember we were in Givata Matos, by the way, three years. But I remember my early memory when I was young that it's not was just Ethiopian Jewish. I have a lot of photos with Russian people that were also in this area. So it was like area for new immigrant, Olim Hadashim, that come to Israel. And we lived there like three years. And then my father find a decent apartment in Nestiona, in the center of Israel, and we moved there. We never speak about acceptance like how the struggle was in Ethiopia. They never like 
share these things with us. Because I think for them, achieving the dream to come to Israel, to come to Zion, it's enough. And you see the difference between our generation to their generation, because they will not complain about nothing. Like, it's, a, it's a different generation. Different generation, also generation that for them, it was like, oh my God, Jerusalem, like dream about it. We don't remember. We wake up to a fact that Jerusalem, it's, it's us. It's a fact. For them, it never was a fact. So they react to the struggle very different. And they never speak about the struggle. They never told us like, oh my God, it's so hard. Racism, racism. We never speak about racism in my house. But I think also my father gets a lot of good decision. One, like to move to non-populated area of Ethiopia because he understands that if we want to assimilate to the society, we need to be like, not just with Ethiopian. And second, for me, like when I speak about myself, not about my brothers and sister, to put me in like religion school, I think it was a great decision also because I never grew up to society of media society and all like political identities and all these things. For me, it was like Torah, Torah, Torah. And then when I moved to non-religion school, when I was 16, I understand what is racism. Like until 16, I was like, what is racism? But when I moved to the non-religion school, I understand like the reality world, like the real world. Yeah. So I think it like good decision, but struggle. I can ask my mother, she will tell me nothing, not a struggle for me. Like everything was great. We have great decision in life. So it's not was a struggle. And when it's come to my brothers and sister, yeah, we think differently about struggles. We criticize the society in Israel. We criticize the government in Israel a lot, especially when it's come to our community. But my mother and my father will not agree with us. Can you elaborate a little more about the dream of Zion in the Ethiopian society? I mean, in your parents' generation, what yeah. it was for them, this so, dream of Zion and Israel. The dream of Zion, the dream of Jerusalem. When I study about the Zionism movement and everybody speak about this is very new and I'm like, it's not new. My generation lived for 2000 years in the same idea, like about Zion. It's not new, like put it in a paper and write it. This is the only thing like they do, but it's not new in the Jewish community in the diaspora. This is why I'm angry when people tell me that Zionism is a very uh, new idea. But for them, generation about generation, this is also what keeps them from not convert themselves to Christianity. Because every generation learn there will come the day that we go to Jerusalem. There will come the day that we return to Zion. This is basically the dream. It's very based dream, but also the Sigd celebration, that it's very famous Ethiopian Jewish holiday. It's yeah. about Jerusalem. It's about return to the land. Please, God, take us to the promised land. Take us to Zion. So, again, it's basic dream, but it's dream that keep like a community for 2000 years oh. to be like stay Jewish. Amazing. Yeah. And we have, of course, a lot of songs about Jerusalem. Yes. You're talking about songs from Ethiopia, right? Yeah. Because the most famous song that I know about uh, the Aliyah from Ethiopia is actually the song that uh, was sang by uh, Shlomo Gronich and Makelat Shva that he's talking Ma about. Yes, it's Sudan, Ken. It's about That's Sudan. That's about the immigrants and the thriving for Jerusalem. 
Yeah. And it actually, it's a great evidence of the hard way of most Jews getting to the promised land. I think it's so beautiful to see how basic was this dream and they achieved the dream. But our struggle, I all the time say that. They achieved the dream and right now, what are we doing as a community? Like, okay, we achieved the dream. What is our next goal? And when you lost the dream, because you achieve it, There are many struggles with the younger generation of Ethiopian Jews and Ethiopian Israelis. As a young woman, how do you see the integration of the younger generation? What can help to ease up the pain and make the Ethiopian community thrive in Israel? First, I want to say that the Ethiopian community drives, okay? A lot of people love to publish how we suffer all the time, but we are driving like 30 years in Israel and we achieve a lot of things. And people don't look like we have Ethiopian politicians. We have so much, like just 30 years. And 30 years, it's nothing, by the way. It's not a There lot. There are actually two politicians at the moment. At the moment, but you have like a lot of people. No, I'm saying... People. Yeah. No, no, it, it's actually a lot. It's uh, When you're talking out of 120, it's more than the percentage in the population. And think about, like, I all the time say to my uncle, you come from non-Western world to Western world in the early 80s, and after a month, you know what is protest. Like, you go and protest and know, like, what is the meaning of... It's crazy, like, how they driving and integrate themselves like very quickly and understand like what is protest, what is activism, what we need to do. If we speak about today, I think the, the main problem, it's not about Ethiopian women. And sorry that I do separation. Mm-hmm. I think gender, especially when we look about the Ethiopian community, we will see like more Ethiopian women succeed than Ethiopian men. I think Ethiopian men have much more struggles. And this is just because Ethiopian women are much more acceptable in the society than the Ethiopian men. Like, it's a fact. I think it's a fact. People can argue with me about this. So if you speak with me it's about... It's interesting. That, I've never thought about it. I, I think it's you. a fact. I think, like, most of the people that you see driving in the Ethiopian society, it's going to be Ethiopian women, the famous one. Like, look about the Ethiopian society and who you know is a famous. Yeah. It's the Ethiopian woman. It's not the Ethiopian men. And it's very weird because all our leaders that do all the words to bring us was a man, like Ethiopian men. I don't know what happened there. But in Israel, for me, all the activism need first to be on Ethiopian youth men. We need to start there. I think they are much more behind than the Ethiopian women. We need to give them the tools how to be successful. So you have a lot of non-profit organization that really starts the career, you know this? Uh, career leap, you mean? Yeah, and they help, like, yeah. So they like help a lot of Ethiopians to come to the high-tech field, Ethiopian Jewish. Second, I have a 17 years old sister. She's not Ethiopian, she's Israeli. I understand when people call me Ethiopian Israeli because I feel like Ethiopian Israeli or Israeli Ethiopian, but... My sister, she don't need to feel like this. She's Israeli, so let's stop with the Ethiopian. It's not just about Ethiopian. It's about every other background ethnicity in Israel. I'm Russian. I'm Moroccan. I'm yeah. Stop to do it. Like, we are Israel. I agree. 
We are all Israelis. We need to stop, use all this background ethnicity. Like, it's not say that if we stop, so we don't remember where our history starts. It's okay. We are all Israeli. My sister, she don't have nothing on her that declare the Ethiopian. I'm sorry, you are much more Israeli. You don't speak the Amharic language. You don't know nothing about the culture because you never sit to study about the culture. You are Israeli. So we need to start from this. Integration start also like for call yourself Israeli and really believe that you are more Israeli. And also the society. The society need to stop like see us as Ethiopian first. Thank you. I love this distinction. I got to tell you, I never thought about what you said about women and men prior to that. Yeah, and when you grow up inside the community and you see the difference, especially in my generation, I see like where are the women in my community in Estiona and where is the men? And you see the big gap and you understand. For Ethiopian men, I think they have much more struggles than Ethiopian women. I think that it's also connected because it's not unique just to the Jewish Ethiopian community. Yeah, yeah. You see it a lot in immigrant societies that come from a more, I would say, traditional communities to a more democratic and open societies, then it's harder a lot of times. You actually need to change the tradition in a way or to embrace a new culture. And it's also a challenge because you're mentioning... Peace and also like make struggle between couples because if Ethiopia is very patriarchal community... And when you come to Israel and you understand like women actually have rights in the Western world, so exactly. it makes a lot of problem. But thank God to my father that he was very modern and he was okay with that. Like I remember my father like all the time say, Ethiopian very patriarchal. My father was cleaning the house, cleaning the dishes. He never was like the sheikh one. I don't yeah. remember. Can, but sometimes he really like say sentences that very, very sexist and patriarchal. I never angry about him because he's Ethiopian and it's okay. This is the mind of the, our yeah, that's the mindset. This is the mindset. I'm not going to like argue with him, but he also understand how much important is career and education. So they really push us to education and they not all the time say to us like, you need to marry quickly or you need to do this. But also, if I look in my brothers, I have like three male brothers. I think they suffer and struggle more than me. I really think it's gender-based. They struggle was like much more worse than me. Yeah, you know, you're mentioning when we're talking about tradition, you're mentioning that your parents got married at the age of 12 for Mashidu. And you're saying, you know, they don't force you to get married and obviously you don't see it happening in Israel that people get married in such a young age. So that's also a cultural and traditional thing that was changed over the years. We also see that families have less children now, right? Mm, yeah. In overall. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, of course. My eight children, my mother and my sister yeah. have like between three to two. Okay, you see, it's a big gap when you think about it and that's in 30 years. Yeah. But also... You need to remember, I don't think it's about tradition. I think it's about affording. So in Israel, it's much more hard to raise a lot of children. In Ethiopia, you don't pay for kindergarten. You don't pay like for all these things. So it's yeah, the kids wander around in the village. Yeah, in the village. And 
Then they go to school. The school, it's got a lot of money. It's a local Jewish school. So everything, it's okay. So it's most like much more easy to bring a lot of children in Ethiopia. And here, like, you cannot afford it. Like, yes. It's, uh, <laughs> modern life are super expensive. Yeah. So <laughs> you need to think twice before you want eight children in Israel. So Yeah. Or yes, they can grow in the Komuna, in the kibbutz. Probably will be cheaper. But we are not going to do it. Tradition changed a lot in Israel, especially when I speak about my community. But you know what beautiful? That every Ethiopian tried to become very Israeli in their early age. So he don't want to speak Amharic anymore, like me. He don't want to put like the tradition clause in holidays because I'm Israeli. Stop to speak. My mother come to school and speak with me Amharic. Don't do it. Don't do it. Speak Hebrew. And then in the IDF, everybody changed their mind when they come to the IDF and understand like people look at us as Ethiopian Israelis. So why not to embrace our tradition? Why not to do it? And then you start like to come back to the roots, start to learn the Amharic again, start to dress up with the, the traditional clothes. And it's happened for all my brothers and sisters, all of us. So if we speak about tradition, yeah, I think our, especially my generation, try not to be Ethiopian when we grow up. And then when we become 18, especially in the IDF, we understand we need to come back to the roots and the tradition because my father all the time say, if you don't remember your history, you don't have a future. So it's very important. I agree with you. I mean, Igal uh, alone, one of the Palmach, Commander. No, no, I know that, you know, I'm talking for audience. Ah. He once said, and he said it in Hebrew, so I'll say it in Hebrew, and then I'll translate. Am she'en lo atid, am she'en lo zokher et avaro, ha'ove shelo dal, ve'atido lot ba'arafel. Yeah. People who doesn't remember their past, their present is vague, and their future is completely unclear. And I think this is why it's so important. If you ask me about what we need to do with, especially in my community, and people start to do it, education. My sister, all of my nephew are not fully Ethiopian. My sister married with a non-Ethiopian Jewish. Okay. So for my sister, it's very important like, to teach them the history of the Ethiopian Jewish. And I think it's very, very important. It's not to make them like less uh, Israeli. Yeah. yeah, but they need to know. And we have such a rich history. Why not teach the children? And this is like the solution, education, education. This is the only things that all the time say, especially when we speak about education in Israel. Israel need to start educate in the book history, other history of Jewish community. Like we learn just about Ashkenazi community and we need to start to learn about other Jewish community. This is how we will become stronger community. I agree that they need to open up Limudei Ezrachut, what we call in Hebrew, and history of contemporary Israel now. And to teach, actually, the history of all of the tribes' history. Yeah, I think it's very missed. The first time I knew about Russian Jewish and their history, it was from a Russian friend from the army, from the IDF. I also didn't understand how much I used to live in Middle Eastern Jewish community in Nesiona, but still I don't know nothing about Moroccan Jewish. I don't know nothing about the background. And each of us can tell so much about Ashkenazi background, 
why they don't teach us also like other background? It's very important. I think it's a lot to do with politics because actually when you think about it, you can tell a lot about Moroccan history now, Moroccan Jews history. Yeah. But you don't know much, by the way, about Iraqi Jews history or Libyan or actually Italian Jews history. I tend to agree with you that there is a lot to be done in the field of education. So just to conclude, first thing, I really want to thank you for sharing all of this with us. I think for me, at least, it was really fascinating to hear not only what happened in Ethiopia, but also what was your family story afterwards and what was your personal experience growing up in Israel? Because you are just the bridge between the generations. Yeah. I all the time say I live in between two communities. So do you have like one last thing you want to share with us or tell us? I will share something that I learned this week. So first of all, Kobe know that right now correctly in USA, all the things that happened this week, anti-Semitic things was like shocking for me. Very shocking for me this week. I speak with my mother and my family member because I want to ask them more about Operation Salomon. And also we speak about anti-Semitic like in USA. And they share with me some anti-Semitic they live when they were in Ethiopia. And we never speak about it. And I really was thought like, ah, no, Ethiopian was like United. They don't care like the Jewish was isolated. And then my uh, uncle tell me the old school that I told you, they burned this school twice because it was a Jewish school. So... The only thing I want to share with our members, if you're Jewish, non-Jewish, that listen to us, we don't have other country. Like, I really believe that. Thank you, Kobe. Just tell me, like, go and ask your cousins and everybody that remember, because I learned this week a lot about my family, how much they suffer, how much they deal, and with them being Jewish people in Ethiopia. And for me, like, it's the first time I'm a Jewish in the diaspora, by the way, in USA. And it's shocking for me, very shocking, because mentally, Israeli don't think like Jewish in the diaspora. Right. Anti-Semitic for us, it's a book of history when we speak about anti-Semitic. But to be here and you see it the first time, and my mother was like, none shock at all. She was like, yeah, I remember anti-Semitic when I was in Ethiopia. This is why I say, this is why I tell you, like, you can speak with me, whatever you want about struggle, education. For me, I achieved my dream. I am not afraid to live in Israel. I'm not afraid of being a Jewish. I'm finally in Israel. And this is my only land. So the only thing I learned about the Coalition Salomon and all this week, it's I really, really appreciate that I'm the first generation to live in Israel. That was a powerful statement to finish with. I really want to thank you for sharing all of that with us. Thank you. And to wish you... A continuance journey, you know, expanding your journey here in the States. And when you're going back to Israel to tell our brothers and sisters in Israel the struggles of, once again, Jewish being a Jew in the diaspora. Yeah. Because I think that in Israel, because we are the majority, we tend to forget it. Yeah. It's a different Very mindset. I, I think, like, people need to understand that being a Jewish in the diaspora it's like you need to do it for one year and I want to see you, how you come back after the experience because I'm like two years nearly in the diaspora and I really, really understand, especially in this month, that it's so hard to be a Jewish in the diaspora. 
not just the anti-Semitic, a lot of things, like, especially for me as a kosher tradition, so hard. You, so you hard. really need to work to preserve your Judaism. Wow. Too much. Yeah. It's an effort, and the people in Israel tend to forget it, so really important that we bring it up also. Yeah. So thank you very, very much, Avezo. It was really a pleasure to have this episode with you. We're going to meet again. We can speak about a lot of issues. Definitely. Yeah, especially with Generation Z. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan www.balagan.ltd for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now and have a great day.